Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome back to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and today we've got Jerry Alexander on with us. Hi, Jerry. Michelle, thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on. And um, so for people who don't know you, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself? Your name has popped up a kind of few times within my network and I know you're focusing on commercial properties amongst other things but um do you want to just tell us a bit of a background about yourself yep sure um i originally actually felt i wanted to do building as a as a kind of career um so i did go to uni and try and study i say try i ended up studying building engineering and management which really i can't remember any of but it kind of got me started and i eventually started doing a couple of residential properties Bought, um, I think the first one was maybe a two bed, yeah, two bed house and a flat and so on and so forth to try and start building up a passive income. And then I kind of got a wee bit frustrated. And this is quite a few years ago. I got a bit frustrated with it and thought, right, how do I scale this? And that's how I ended up moving more into commercial. I didn't, I didn't set out thinking, oh, I must go and do commercial property. That's that's going to be the, the silver bullet. But it ended up being a deal that I found um, through networking, rather vicarious route, but in the end, I bought this office building. And that's really how I ended up doing commercial and specialising in that. And I've been doing it for quite a long time now. So it's kind of where we've niched. And that deal then, tell us about that. So that was your first deal sort of out of the comfort zone of what you were used to and in more commercial world. Uh, did you feel like you had the skill set to go for it? Or was it very much a case of this is the opportunity? Let's say yes and figure out the how later. Um, probably a bit, uh, probably the former, really. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit scary. So I actually ended up. Um, there was somebody I, I met through networking. I thought, oh, actually, do you know what? Maybe I need a partner in this because maybe actually doing this on my own might be a bit too much. And this chap was going to put some finance into the deal. And thankfully, in the end, the deal actually took 18 months. And by then, I'd, I'd kind of overcome myself a little bit. And I ended up doing it just myself or myself and my wife um, and not involving anybody else. But it was quite a scary process. But at, at the time, there were some differences going on in title and feudal law in Scotland, which meant that the deal took quite a long time to go through. And that was enough time for me to settle a little bit on what I was getting into actually do you know what the price of it was only really the price of maybe a four or five bed house it wasn't like mega compared to what I've been doing but it was just a new scene and something I wasn't used to it's funny isn't it a lot of commercial properties aren't uh, as expensive as you as people might imagine 
But I think what people don't realize is just the cost of conversion. Uh, and that's the reason why the, the, the purchase price can be low on some, sure, some yeah. of these um, deals. So when you saw that, you know, the, the purchase price and you said you were going to work with somebody else to bring in the finance, um, but you had 18 months. So how did you, was it a case of just, you know, uh, kind of collecting together your kind of funds in order to do it and you had the 18 months to prepare or did you go down a different route or just go down a traditional? Um, well, I did finance? something sacrilegious. I sold a couple of buy to let. Oh, <laughs> I traded. It was, oh, I mean, trade, yeah. it sounds a bit crass, but I mean, it was like Monopoly. I traded in some houses and, and tried to buy a bigger deal, right? Yeah. Um, and it gave me that time to do that. Also, to be fair, because it wasn't too expensive, and this was a number of years ago, finance was a little bit more easier to do. I mean, you know, finance comes and goes in terms of ease, doesn't it? But at the time, it wasn't too difficult. Um, and I'd also prepared a little bit because previously I'd had my buy-to-let mortgages with whoever gave us the best rate, whether it was Birmingham Midchars or whoever it was. And then I made a conscious decision to actually transfer all our buy-to-let finance into a high street bank, but through a commercial loan. And that meant that when this building came up, I actually used the same bank and they were used to our track record. They already had security over property. So I've made the whole thing a little bit more um, easier to do. Right. So let me just understand that. So did you consolidate the loan? And then because you had a number of properties under one loan, it, that was classed as commercial? Yeah, basically what they weren't. They weren't buy-to-let mortgages. They basically yeah. gave, took security over the properties and gave us effectively a loan, um, which we were paying down. But because they then had security over everything, when we added in this new thing, um, they continued with security over those, but also added that in. So it just made the whole process a little bit easier. Yeah, okay. And uh, and so the project, it took 18 months to uh, get to the completion stage. Is that right? So the, was that the planning that took the time? Or... It was me probably dragging my feet, um, a little bit of negotiation, but also this basically the, the feudal law meant that there were certain things that you would have to do and that potentially that was going to fall. And it did. The feudal law changed. So it was just pausing and waiting until that happened. Right, I see. Um, Meantime, I just carried, I mean, I had my own business at the time, so I just carried on doing the usual thing. And how did away. you find how did you find the actual um, conversion of the project then? Do you want to tell us a bit more about what you converted it to? Well, that, that's interesting. So a lot of people in Resi, me in, in, as well, looked at commercial as a way of doing residential more cheaply or giving us an opportunity to buy something at a better price and do this conversion, which would hopefully give us a, a good upside in terms of equity. But actually, that wasn't the way this deal went. This this was a commercial project for commercial lend, for commercial letting. So right. actually, we didn't end up doing resi. And in fact, when we bought it, it was 100% occupied. So it was actually multiple units. So there was, I think at the time, 20, 28 units in this building. So there weren't 28 customers, some had more than one room, but basically it was 100% let. And we paid for it with a multiple of 10 on the income, which is kind of standardish. So it basically meant that it was it was effectively giving me 10% yield after we bought it, albeit it got finance costs come out of that. 
the refurbishment then came with redeveloping the building as and when clients came and went to increase the um, offer and therefore what we could charge. And we ended up tripling the income over a period of years, basically because the previous owner hadn't really recognized that the market demanded changed from what they were offering. To be fair, I didn't really know that there was that much on the market change either, but Fortunately, over a period of time, we just did up spaces as I had done in Resi and then relet them at a higher rate. And what eventually happened was, although I was working on cash flow and I didn't realize this, but what actually happened was because the cash flow and the income had gone up, the value of the property also tripled, which was really exciting. I didn't really worked out that was what was happening. So when we went for the next building, it was actually the bank said, oh, we need this revalued so we can lend against it and on for this new one. And when we had the revaluation done, the, the valuer phoned me up. And I remember this clear as day, he was sitting in the car. I pulled over and he says, all right, okay, so what do you think, Jerry? What, what, what do you think? And I'm like, well, in my mind, I'm thinking that's why we're paying you, right? I have no idea what it's worth. And so he says, well, I think it, I think it probably begins at a seven, right? And we paid two, 240 for this building and spent money on doing up. And he came back with a valuation of 750. I couldn't wow. believe it. I just couldn't believe it. We hadn't, I mean, how much did we spend on it? I mean, over the years, probably a couple of hundred thousand, but all of that really got fed out of cash flow. Yeah, because you were facing it and you were taking yeah. your time as, as the units were yeah, coming available. Exactly, yeah. And this okay. was, this was, so I wasn't drawing an income out of it. This was just something I was doing on the side, right? Yeah. yeah. Then 2009, 2008, 2009 came along. I actually went on a, property trainee weekendy thing um, where they asked us to do quite a few things and one of those was kind of calculating out value what where you could maybe get some money at the moment to put together more deals how deals are working da 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 long short long story short is when I came away from that weekend I realized I needed to focus 100% on the commercial stuff I was doing and we were really lucky because the bank still was lending even though it was that awful time right and actually right. lending then was still using it is now <laughs> and we managed to buy the second one and then just rinse and repeat and do the same thing so basically what i learned to do and buy to let just kind of really transferred over to commercial i know it's a different product but essentially that's what we were doing refurbing i'm sorry buying at a cheaper price refurbing and then letting it out to commercial clients rather than resi Right, so you went commercial to commercial rather than commercial yes. to resi. Yeah. And did you get bridging on the, because usually you would get bridging to do the refurbishment, then you get the revaluation. Is that, or did you go straight for a mortgage? We straight for term loan, Michelle, because the right. income was already there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and what I used to think about commercial, this talking purely about commercial lettings, was that that was where you parked your money. You know, you made money somewhere else, right? Maybe in resi or something. And then... I'll buy commercial assets that'll give me a passive income. And then, you know, fine, I can sit on that, but I'm going to have to go make all the money first somewhere else. But actually what I've discovered is that you can add a lot of value in commercial, particularly because a huge part of the valuation comes from income and you can affect that. Yeah. And remind me how many units was in this deal? First one. So it was one building, 10,000 square foot split up into about 28 units. We've actually wow. subsequently subdivided into maybe just over 30 now. 
um, some of the, the large units we've subdivided, yeah. Just the, the incomes in the smaller ones. I think one of the biggest uh, fears people have around commercial is that, you know, what if the units become uh, empty and yeah. then you've got, you know, potentially years you're waiting for the next company to come in and take a lease. Yes. But actually what you, you've done is a sort of HMO version of the commercial world where exactly. you've got all these multiple units within one within one building. So, um, wow, that's incredible. Do you know, uh, so the other day, um, I forced myself, because our industry, when I say our industry, the flexible space industry isn't great at keeping data. So I went to conference, we were talking about the hotel industry and how easy it is for them to do um, valuations. And our industry, not so easy because we don't really share data so well. So I thought I'd go through every spreadsheet I can find because over the years, we've changed from one software program to another to another. And of course, trying to keep the data is not always the easiest thing. But basically, in the background, I've had spreadsheets. So I managed to go back 14 years, not the full amount of time we've had that building, but for, from 20, basically from last month, May 23, back 14 years, the average occupancy for that building over that whole time is 93.5%. So there's been, you know, COVID, all sorts of things yeah. going on during that time. And the average occupancy is 93.5, which was great. I, in my head, I thought it was somewhere around about that, maybe 95 in my head. But actually doing the numbers, like, wow, OK, that's really how it's been. So, yes, things fluctuate. People come and go. But rather than having one tenant who has the whole building, then leaves and now you're in a deep hole, having 30 customers means that if one leaves, what does it matter? I mean, obviously you've got yeah. to replace them, but it's much more palatable than losing the entire income. Absolutely. And how long do people take the a lease typically for? That number I haven't worked out yet, Michelle. Okay. <laughs> that would be a lot of Do you have a minimum though? Um, we do 12 months. Okay. And for mature locations, because obviously if we've had a building for two years, you know, the best you're going to have is two years, right? But for our mature locations, I think it's probably about three and a half, four years. I actually worked out the other day in the in a really crude sense. We've got about 300 odd paying customers, something like that overall. And we're probably changing on maybe sub 20% a year. So that means that the average is maybe three years, three and a half, something like that. Okay. Just in the back of an envelope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm guessing that you know the 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 fact that you've got such a high occupancy rate is down to the location primarily. Is that true? And is there anything else that's factored into kind of keeping people keeping the demand as well as longevity? That's a great question. Um, I think I mean location is definitely important for sure. Tell but us a bit also, about that. Is it city centre or is it no? Near... That, that one is in a commuter town. It's not in a city centre, but I maybe should just give a bit more context. So we've got seven locations, six of which are, are fully multi-let. The seventh is a single let and some um, self-storage. But I, across all of them, the average over that 14-year period, we haven't owned them all for 14 years, but when you break it down, is 93.55%. I mean, I'm amazed that I can give you these sorts of numbers. It's about the only specific number I can give you. But so the, one of those is city centre. Other ones are industrial areas. You know, it's a bit of a mix. Um, so, yes, location is important, but it, it's all down to the macroeconomics. What's going on in that area? What's demand like? 
and what's what is the provision you know is there actually any competitive products to what we do yes there are in some markets how do you differentiate yourself um all of our locations are within about an hour of each other max so although yeah being smack bang in the middle of the city center where everybody can see you it might be useful but there are other ways of communicating with people now aren't there signage is great having good signage for location but also you know internet networking there's many ways of finding customers so i think okay. although location is important um there's a huge number of other factors really that you need to consider not least obviously studying and working out what customers potentially want and whether you can deliver that with the building you're looking at and what sort of customers typically do you have? Do you attract similar companies or is it everyone's difference within each unit? Um, they're all very different. Some locations steer. So we've got one location where they steer a little bit more towards health and well-being. I say a little bit, probably about 35% of that building is um, health and well-being. Another location is more software that's we're in dundee which is you know that's somewhere where the gaming industry and software is very prevalent so i guess you would expect that but other locations are real mix from somebody doing tattoos to somebody doing the accounting from national well-known brands to um somebody's just starting up importing and exporting crisps or something you know it's just all sorts i think it's not so much a common customer as a common need so they're all looking for flexible space. They're all looking for the ability to grow or shrink depending on how their business model works. And I guess that's okay. probably more of the attraction for them. Wow, okay. And so if there was another site to come up uh, that had sort of multi-unit configuration, is it something that you're looking to expand on in your portfolio at the moment? Or do it, you feel like you've got enough to kind of keep you busy? No, no, no. We've, um, we've got... So I've been at it for a reasonable period of time, worked out pretty early on how many we needed so I could get an infrastructure in the company because what I'm describing to you, you know, it's quite a lot of moving parts. Yeah. So it's not completely passive. No. So I worked out early on, the only way to get that passive is to get enough scale. I mean, most businesses are like this, right? You really need to get enough scale that you don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, and we've, we've, we've pretty much got to that point, um, but also it's a kind of a foundation to then add more. So, uh, yeah, in, a, in answer to your question, yes, I want to add more. Um, uh, we've got some reasonable amount of development work going on in the portfolio right now that I'm not desperate for another one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but absolutely, yes, the intention is to continue growing. Well, and OK, so for people um, who are listening and thinking, OK, I'd love to do this. Uh, it sounds great, but, you know, I think commercial sometimes for people who are used to just the buy-to-let market, it seems to be, as you said before, a bit scary, uh, different skill sets, and they're just not sure where to start with it. So yeah. is it something you would advise, you know, for people who are just starting out that they can get into, or do you think that they need to actually educate yourself themselves on certain things before they start? You mean like going to should they go and do buy to let first? Do you mean or so if they've already got if they've already got a couple of buy to lets yep. or maybe they don't have any and they're just starting out, but they actually think you know what this would work for me, I, or I've seen a commercial unit that I can think that could work. Yeah. Um, do you think that they need to get some grounding, some education, or put the team in place before they start, or is it something that they could just go to a lender and say, I've seen this property, 
like can i buy this yeah um absolutely need to educate yourself yeah um, what sort of things do would you recommend starting with well there's when i started out there was hardly anything out there um the commercial industry in particular seems very closed and and i used to think you know why is nobody returning my calls um does nobody want my business you know and and it can be a little bit frustrating from that point of view i guess the silver lines that is it puts a lot of people off yeah. <laughs> which is why when you go to viewing there's maybe nobody else there there's just you whereas obviously with housing it's slightly different than that so but you do need to get educated absolutely and i spent as much time as i could learning from other people but nowadays, <clears throat> through podcasts, we've, we've I've got my own podcast as well. But through podcasts, through YouTube, through various places, there are there is quite a lot of information out there now. It's still not as much as Resi, and it still goes with the usual small print of you know you really need to check out what you're watching, of course. But I think there's 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 more data out there now to to get to get involved with to understand what's going on with the market. But the probably the most important thing is getting around people that are doing it are there any key sort of areas that you would advise people start with in terms of what to learn i think it's probably a little bit difficult to give a broad brush approach to that michelle and there will be some people that actually bypass residential and go straight into commercial and there's others that that's probably not the best idea so it does vary from person to person um i think if you're going to if you're going to get started in commercial and you're talking about lenders there, you know, do you go straight to a lender? I think there's three things to remember that lenders are looking for. One is the loan to value. So the usual thing, right? And, and these days, maybe depending on where you're at, it could be anything from 40% to 75%, anywhere in there, depending on where you're at. But the other two things they're looking for is experience. Can, you know, do you know enough to make this thing work right and then the third one is more around um the serviceability so if you've really got a portfolio that's pushing off cash then when you buy this commercial building if you can't let it to man or beast can you still can you still operate as a business and those are kind of the three things they're looking at so you just have to think yourself right okay well where are my gaps can i have i got the serviceability or do i need to maybe go more for private finance can I can I do that loan to value bit, or again, do I need to just go private finance completely, which sometimes we've done? And then the third one is, have I got the experience? And if I haven't, I need to go and either learn it from other people or go and start small. And I think a, a few people get in the industry and they're like, right, we're going to go big. We're going to go and buy a big deal because that's what I'm doing this for. I want to scale. Actually, just sometimes you, the most important thing is getting started and starting cheaply and learning cheaply. So it's sometimes you start with something a bit more vanilla before you go for the really exciting things. Yeah, we've actually okay. always kind of, each building we've bought, we've tried to push the envelope a little bit more on what we're doing. But it was it was um, four buildings in, five buildings in before we bought one that had no income at all yeah. when we bought it. So it was vacant and you know it took a while to get to that stage. So I think some people come in, they're like, oh, I'm gonna buy this big vacant building and do all sorts with it, but actually, Maybe you should just go and buy something vanilla to start with. Yeah, cash flow from day one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And in I think another thing that people get stuck on is working out the end value, so the GDV on commercial properties. Yes. Because 
they're used to looking at singlets or HMOs and thinking, okay, I know how to get the comparables for those. But when it comes to commercial, uh, where do I start? And I think even if they've got an idea of how to start or they can do some due diligence, having that certainty that the deal will stack, it's got enough profit margin in, you know, and then the bill costs are another thing, but that NGDV, uh, how, have you got any advice for people on how to kind of calculate that? Yeah, okay, so um, not not to um, scare anybody, but if you have a think about it, or at least my experience is, most commercial valuers will come back with completely different valuations. <clears throat> so if they can't even get it right, yeah okay so you know i part of the thing is you know just be <laughs> just be aware it's a bit of a dark art sometimes um and you need to know how the game works so there are some valuers that will um go one particular direction there'll be others that that just can't find any comparables and, and don't want to risk anything so give you a very low valuation there's others who understand what your business is about and give you more of a business valuation it does depend a little bit on the institution that you're borrowing money from because it's how they ask for it to be valued. And that maybe determines a little bit more. And at the moment in the marketplace, most finance, particularly from second to your lenders, is about bricks and mortar valuations. There's not actually many that are doing market value. That will change. And, and it wasn't so much so before even before the, the trust economics back last year, it, there were still more market value valuations out there. But anyway, the principle, I think, is if you, if you can get away from the bricks and mortar, is that on average, it, there's a multiple of 10. And, and there'll be some people listening to saying that's complete rubbish. Because, for instance, in industrial until very recently you could get a multiple of 20 so if you were earning ten thousand pounds on a building then it was worth 20 times that whereas generally it's around about a 10 percent number and sometimes it's less sorry 10 multiple sometimes it's less than that because there's a perceived risk on the tenant where the location is and that sort of thing but those numbers can vary quite a lot and i think that's probably to be fair to the commercial agents why it's difficult to, to come to a valuation that sits with everybody else because there's all these different factors coming in and what's interesting is in residential if you've got a street like you say and you look at all the comparables if it's a two-bedroom house and next door is a two-bedroom house it's very difficult you can maybe burst the ceiling but only by a little bit only by a few percent but in commercial you could have three buildings right next to each other one might be vacant and it's worth blah the next one's got um joe and jerry's fish and chip shop in right and it's worth maybe i'll just give some numbers right so the first one might be a hundred thousand the next one with joe and jerry they might be paying 20 grand rent so it might be worth 200 it might be worth 180 it depends on the location and then the next one's got starbucks and they're paying 20 grand but now this one's probably worth 400 and they're all the same buildings the only difference is the tenant and the quality of the lease so mm -hmm. That's scary, but also it means that hmm, now there are opportunities to add value without necessarily having to go and spend 300 grand on a refurbishment. I could do it through the type of tenant I found and the length of the lease. But it does make it difficult for valuers <laughs> and for us to say, yeah. absolutely, hang your hat on, this is what it's going to be worth when I've finished all this work. Do you think then that sort of 
by educating yourself getting a feel for different types of projects keeping an eye on the market that you just get a feel for it um or yeah, good. I, I, I know it's it's so vague, isn't it? Michelle, the best thing you can do is focus in on an area. Okay. And really get to understand what's going on in that area. So <clears throat> I mentioned earlier on our buildings are all within an hour of each other. I mean that's yeah. quite deliberate. And if you're if you're looking at Liverpool one week and then looking at a deal in Newcastle the next and then down in Essex, how can you ever understand what's going on locally? You just can't. So if you're doing this is where I find it's quite interesting. If you're doing shops and tops, which is often what people think about in, in looking at, I'm going to do my first commercial deal, so I'm going to buy a shop and then convert the uppers. The thing about that strategy is that it's quite narrow and it's a cookie cutter approach. So when you're out looking at towns, there's only a certain number of shops and tops. So you have to look at, you have to spread your net wider. And also looking at those deals in with that through that lens is you maybe miss opportunities to do other things, those buildings. But if you actually spent the time working out what that market, that area, what the market demand is and where the gaps are, now when you look at buildings, you're looking to find a solution to a problem you already know exists. Whereas yeah. people often, if they haven't got the cookie cut, they're just looking at, they find a commercial deal on the internet, they think, gosh, that's a lot of building for 200 grand, right? What can I do with that? But of course, <laughs> nobody knows. You know, you haven't gone out and researched the market. That's the, that's the first step is actually go and find out what's going on. Then you can start working out whether deals are going to um, work financially and cash flow well based on where you think demand is. So yeah, it's just, I guess it's just turning it around the other way and, and thinking, actually, um, I'm going to really spend my time finding good market dynamics and then good deals within that market rather than just going to try and find what I think is a good deal and then make it work somehow. And in terms of sort of trends then obviously you've had you know been in the commercial world a long time now so you've seen different interest rates you've seen different yeah. you've gone through COVID etc so um, with COVID in particular you've obviously kind of come out the other side of that as strong uh, as before so are there any trends that you see within that commercial space going forward that you think would be interesting to share yeah um so i think first thing is context so all new head all the news headlines tend to be about macroeconomics so you know the office sector's dead um yeah. retail's dead we're all going to be shopping from home right these these headlines could get you caught in the headlights and you just think, well, there's no point doing office space. Or there's no point doing retail. So most of us as investors do not invest at a macro level. We're just not big enough, right? We invest at a micro level in our own local market. Back to what I was just saying about really understanding the market dynamics that you're after. So, so it's just really important to remember that although there's loads of noise, actually, what are the fundamentals in your local market? But back to the original part of your question, I think the biggest impact right now is interest rates. Yeah. So uh, yes, there's energy costs and there's other things going on, but interest rates, because yields, the income people expect to make, hasn't really changed. Yeah. So if somebody expected as an investor to make 6% and interest rates have gone up by 4 well, now they expect to make 10 And going back to the fish and chip shop and Starbucks, the tenant may still be the same, but the value of the lease has now gone down. 
because they're expecting a higher yield to compensate for the fact that interest rates gone up. So that's what's having the biggest impact. The thing is, it takes a while for that to work through. And what that means is some prices will be depressed, certainly in hot sectors like industrial, where there were really high multiples. But things like retail had already been really, decimated is not the right phrase, really hit hard during COVID. And although interest rates are going up, I think retail's already had a lot of that um, contraction already. So I think there's definitely opportunity in retail. And the old uh, phrase, of course, you know, if everybody's running one way, you need to go the other. And everybody was talking about industrial. And that market is now shrinking in terms of the yields, uh, sorry, increasing in terms of yields. But the retail sector, I think, is definitely opportunity. And a little bit, I guess, akin to what we do, is it's the subdivision. So we take on large units, subdivide them up into multiple units and then let them out to a different market. Often these big buildings were built for one tenant or one customer, or even they built them for themselves and they've moved on. The manufacturer's made somewhere else. Their business has gone bust or whatever it is. And now those buildings are sitting there and they can't satisfy newer demand because that type of man's changed. Yeah. So a lot of it is for us to subdivide, but interestingly, it's across multiple sectors. You could subdivide office space, industrial space, retail space, even things like B&Bs, hotels, people are doing apart hotels, right? Where they're just creating small units that work independently of the others. So I think the opportunity, and and, and as I say, it's multi-sector, is about taking on larger properties and subdividing them to suit market demands locally. What level of offer you put into those will depend on what's going on with economics, what your current um, competition is in the market. And I guess that's where the that's where the education comes in, is trying to work out, actually, fine, I'll subdivide this building, but to what level of quality, what size, what price, those are the bits that takes a bit more inf- more effort to work out exactly how that works but i think context aside the biggest thing that we can do or the opportunity for us is subdivision and and taking these properties that don't really quite work right now and working out what the market demand is and trying to see can i change what this one's doing or providing so i can match this new market trend yeah so basically repurposing with flexibility and creativity to suit the demand um I, I, yeah, I not always having to be flexible, but yes, that, that's certainly what people seem to be wanting more and more. So, yeah, fair enough. Great. Okay. So, what's next then? You're saying you've got a project on at the moment and you've got all of these in the background. So, um, what's new? What's next? So, um, we've got a, a, a pretty large building or large for us that half of it is let and the other half we've been refurbishing. We've moved, um, I think it's maybe 10 or 11 customers into that one now. And we've got some more to refurb. And then some of the customers in the other part that was already let are, are coming to the end of leases. So over the next two or three years, we'll be redeveloping that one. It, it's it's 30, 35,000 square feet. It's a big building yeah. for us. And we've got uh, roughly, I guess we've probably got about 20,000 let right now. And maybe slightly more than that. But, you know, that some of those customers are going to come and go and there's bits to be redeveloped. So there's loads of opportunity there. And that's really where we're concentrating most of our time and effort. The rest of our portfolio, we've been 
anticipating, you know, bits being added on, bits being changed. But the real value add for us now is that big building. That's where we're going to be concentrating. But that's not to say if another one comes up, we won't be um, looking at seeing how we can add it. Absolutely. Right. OK, well, uh, it sounds really interesting. Where can people find out more about uh, this project or what you're up to? And obviously your podcast as well. Do you want to tell us about that? Thanks, Michelle. Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is jerryalexander.commercial. And most of our project stuff gets popped up there. I, I do as much as I can, but it's clearly not enough. Some people are up there very prolific and maybe one every three days. <laughs> um, but the podcast is where I share quite a lot. And that's the Commercial Property Investor podcast. We've got about 190 episodes out now. So there's a lot of content there, free content both from interviews, but also I do quite a few solo episodes there where I'm talking through what we do at our business. Fantastic. It sounds like a great resource for anyone looking to get into commercial or scale up what they've got in their commercial portfolio already. So um, we'll put the links to those in the show notes. So do check those out. And Jerry, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate your time too. We look forward to seeing what's next for you. Thanks. Right then, so... Right. Um, <laughs> take care and if anyone is not yet a subscriber to the ypn magazine click the link below for your free 30-day trial see you later